dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the billboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here tonight Hey everybody and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this afternoon, Meryl McNally? Oh, I'm anxious. It's election day. It is election day. And it has been a while since we chatted. Yes, today is the day of all anxieties. And yet, you know, by the time this gets posted, we'll know what's happened. So, no, fingers crossed, folks. Fingers, fingers crossed. Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't even know what else to say about it at this point. You know, it sort of feels like what Christmas morning would feel like in hell. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, you have to be patient and you can't open the present yet, but you're not sure if you even want to because it might blow up in your face. (laughs) And I have a suspicion that uh, we may not know tonight. You know, I think it's going to take a few days. I think it'll be longer than normal based on the sheer volume of early votes which is kind of amazing and fantastic in a way um it's just hopefully it doesn't get too volatile out there we talked about that with fred you know about how like either way there could be issues but hopefully not hopefully peace will prevail and we'll kind of restore ourselves but i hope so everybody love each other this is a stressful time just keep cool Yes. Well, so in the interest of and in the spirit of full disclosure, it has been longer since we chatted this time. We were, you know, kind of spacing out our recordings every couple of days. But this time has been a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. I mentioned that just so that, you know, when we start talking about some of our other things, it's been a, longer than normal. So just for some context, have you seen anything over the last couple of weeks? Have you watched anything that's been interesting? I just finished watching The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Mm. What did you oh, think? So good. Everybody go watch it. It's magic. It's directed by Scott Frank, who did Godless, who I, which I equally loved. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Anya Taylor Joy is brilliant as always. I'm a huge fan. The supporting cast is amazing. My only beef with the whole thing has nothing to do with that, but the cover art on when you go onto. Netflix. The poster has Anya Taylor Joy with Thomas Brody Sangster Sangster behind her, as if this is like about the two of them. And the show is all about her. He has a substantial role, but he is by no means the lead in this thing. And I'm like, no, no, this cover art belongs to Anya Taylor Joy alone. Thank you, Netflix. <laughs> I, do, I do wonder whose job it is to pick out those, you know, the cover art. It's It seems very random. And my favorite thing, not to digress, but my favorite thing is when they, like, if, if they've got a title that's been on there for a while, they change it up. You know, they don't keep it the same. And I don't, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the logic is other than, like, keeping it fresh. But it's always you can tell like the original one and it's like why did you switch to that one that's such a strange choice you know because i think the original artwork on netflix was just her and then i flipped through and it had switched anyway that is totally off the point 
the show is spectacular. Everybody go watch it. And if you think chess might be dull, watch the show and it will prove otherwise. <laughs> I have I have seen more people on social media talking about that show. I feel like it's the most positively reviewed show I've you know seen people talking about in since since basically Downton Abbey or, or something or maybe Ozark or something I don't know but um it feels like every time somebody's talking about it it's talking about how much they love it I haven't heard one or you know I haven't read one person or heard one person say ah, I didn't you know care for it it's everybody really loves it so yeah it's um it's really that good I'm trying to think what else I've watched as of late um oh I you know what I watched the Rebecca Oh, yeah? How is that? I don't think you can call it a remake because they're insistent that it's just a new adaptation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know what? It's pretty. It's really milk toast. I mean, it doesn't build suspense the way Hitchcock's does. I think that's pretty universal. There's sort of a lack of chemistry between Army Hammer and um, Lily James. Kristen, uh, Christ Kristen Scott Thomas is notoriously amazing <laughs> uh, no, no surprise um, but yeah it's a really it's entertaining and it's beautiful so if you want to watch pretty people in in you know pretty clothes and pretty settings it's it's a good it's a good two hours sure that's yeah. that's in line with the reviews I've read of that one too which has been yeah. kind of uh, I'm not really sure we needed this but it's fine yeah, yeah I'm not sure we needed it either but you know, it worked. I also, as to like, like cap things off, I watched Holiday. Oh, what is that? It's a new rom-com with Emma Roberts and Luke Bracey on Netflix, which, which on first glance looks to be in the Hallmark realm of Christmas movies. Do oh. not be fooled. Um, it's quite crude and very funny like I laughed out loud several times it is not a masterpiece by any means but if you just want like a few good laughs it's cute it's so huh. I hadn't even heard of that one yeah I mean it succumbs to some of the rom-com tropes that are sort of cringy like a, a single woman who's 29 is not really happy when she's single. She just pretends to be happy, you know, <laughs> that whole thing. They do redeem that a little bit in the end by sort of switching the, switching up the normal tropes. And he's the one who's like super head over heels. And um, so, yeah, it, it has some cringeworthy moments like that, but it's still, it's still watchable. Okay. How about you? What have you been watching? I'm trying to think. I, too, haven't watched anything that has, like, stuck out in my mind as something to talk about this time. I guess I'll go with the two most recent things, although neither one of them gets a huge thumbs up. Although one of them, I think, was maybe just a little bit underrated, in my opinion. So I watched the, uh, I'm blanking on what it's called. I think it's called Like a Boss, the Tiffany Haydish, uh, Rose Byrne soundtrack. Oh, yeah. One. Have you yeah. seen that? I have. I mean, speaking of like tropes that are just ridiculous. I love it how you and I just for a moment just stared at each other with looks like, what do we say? I mean, you know, there are moments. It, it's 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 not 
it's not a complete embarrassment or anything. It's not one of those that they should be like completely embarrassed by. But I mean, there are just so some choices in there. Them singing. I just, I hate, I hate, hate, hate in movies when like there's realism, realism, realism. And all of a sudden an entire room full of, you know, a hundred people are doing like a perfectly choreographed music number. And it's like, where is the music coming from? What is happening right here? This is so strange. Yeah. And when they when they go into Proud Mary, it's like, what the hell is happening? This is so strange. <laughs> it it is it definitely there are some strange choices. Yeah. In that movie. Yeah, um Salma Hayek being one of them. Yeah. <laughs> not her casting, but her like whoever like I'm ass- I'm assuming she didn't create that character alone. Yeah. <laughs> So this is just interesting choices there. <laughs> well, and I mean, that to me is a kind of strange. I, I guess I don't get the appeal in taking that role for her because it's not a fun role. Like, it, you know, it, to play a villain, it should be super fun. And that was just like, she plays like this mean person. It's not funny. It's just like mean and nasty. And what's the point? Yeah, yeah no, that part is really void of, of, um, of opportunities. Yeah. To be funny, yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it's just one of those films where it's like you guys are doing scenes from a, from different movies, I think, because it just like something didn't fit between them. Yeah. It was like they couldn't figure out the tone or something. I don't know. I will uh, say that I loved the chemistry between Rose Byrne and Tiffany Haydash, and I yeah. would totally show up again for another movie they did together. I also laughed out loud hard with the drone that broke that she put in her purse and then tries to fly away that was a lovely piece of physical comedy that i like it was a highlight for me i was like this is great yeah tiffany hadish is just i wish there was a vehicle that had been made so far for her that was like worthy of her talents we've seen rose byrne do great stuff and Tiffany Haydish has been good in forgettable stuff, in my opinion. I thought she was really good in a movie with Kevin Hart called Night School. I thought she was really good in that. But, you know, like, do you remember that movie? Like, you know, it kind of came and went. And Yeah. You know. Yeah, she definitely deserves more opportunities. She's phenomenal. Yeah. And I think... I mean, she's a major star. Um, I'm sure she, she'll get there. It's just, I don't know, maybe the what, being a little bit more selective or something. I don't know. But um, so that one I can't really give a great thumbs up to. The other one I'm not going to give a big thumbs up to, but I will say it kind of got um, stomped on and and really like overlooked when it came out. And it's got a really low IMDb, and I don't think it's that bad. It's a movie called Downhill with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Will Ferrell. Yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. It's it's a kind of a adaptation of a French film. I can't remember what the French film is called, but you know, it's this married couple, and they've got two young kids, and they go on uh, a skiing trip, and you know, it's kind of mostly to rekindle. The, the romance between the two of them. And then there's an event that happens that kind of makes her in particular, him too, but more her kind of really question their relationship. And so it's another film that probably had a real marketing issue. And it's Will Ferrell and Julia Louis-Dreyfus in a movie that kind of makes it look like it's going to be a comedy and it's not a comedy. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think expectations, it's a very French film. It has that feel to it of like really not much happens and 
you know, the pacing of it is a little slower and so, kind of the movie we're going to review today. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but it's sort of, um, yeah, I don't think it deserved, I think it's, if it had been presented differently, I think the expectations might have been different for this film. And I definitely don't think it was that bad. And the other thing that I found in common, actually, with both of those movies is they were both like 80 minutes. They're both really short films. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting, you know. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm going to watch it at some point. I'm a big fan of both of theirs. And I actually, I I really love Will Ferrell when he steps out of the sort of full-blown farcical comedy that he does. Like, one of my favorite performances of his is Stranger Than Fiction. Yep. So I'll I'll, I'll visit it at some point. It's nice to hear about it. And she has a scene um, that like if if the rest of the movie had been as fantastic as this one scene is, it would be just pure Oscar bait. There's a scene where they kind of meet up with he kind of, I won't give too much away, but he kind of springs it on her that his friend and that friend's girlfriend uh, are swinging by to visit. And she's like, I don't know these people. It's, you know, late at night. I wasn't expecting this. We've got like nothing to offer them in terms of refreshments or anything. So she's kind of annoyed. And this is after the event that has happened, which I don't want to give away what that event is because it's kind of important to the film. Um, so they, she kind of just is in that zone of like, she starts by being polite, but she kind of just within the scene is just kind of like slowly dissolves into just making it really awkward in front of this other couple. And she just kind of launches into this tirade of everything that's wrong and it's just a, such a well-acted scene she's really really good in the scene and she's good in the whole movie and he is too i don't think he gets the material that she does this is really you know a, a good a good vehicle for julia louis drive is not a great one for will ferrell although again he's good for what he does it's just his character is not particularly likable and not particularly interesting he's just kind of there honestly yeah um, but you also, I think that's actually the thing that makes her character so easy to relate to is kind of his blandness, actually. So it's, I've never seen Will Ferrell kind of toned down quite as much as he is in this movie. So yeah, it's interesting. Well, let's see, we were talking before, since the last time we recorded, Meryl has signed on for a, a new movie. Speaking of Will Ferrell, this is an Adam McKay movie. Adam McKay is probably best known for several movies that he made with Will Ferrell, Anchorman, uh, the other guys. I'm sure there were other ones, too. But he most recently did Vice, uh, the, the one about Dick Cheney. And so Meryl is in a supporting role, but uh, this is probably one of the better casts that's been assembled in recent years. It's Meryl, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Timothy Chalamet, Kate Blanchett, Jonah Hill, Matthew Perry, Ariana Grande, Hamish Patel. Uh, there's a few other folks involved as well. It's about a pair of astronomers who are trying to warn everyone on Earth that a giant meteorite is going to destroy the planet in six months. Uh, so the movie is, as of now, called Don't Look Up, and it's billed as a comedy. Um, I haven't read all that much about it. I just read from Adam McKay's perspective that making Vice was kind of the most intense experience that he's had so far. And this is, and the one he did before that was The Big Short, 
which also wasn't, you know, a hysterical comedy. And uh, so I think this is maybe him kind of going back to doing something lighter. Um, yeah. What do you think? I'm excited. I'm very excited. Is there any, it's in pre-production, right? It is in pre-production. It's listed as 2021. Um, I had read that they were starting this fall. Um, okay. So I would assume they're gearing up to go. Maybe, maybe. It, I think sometimes with IMDb, they don't always update it when they're actually in production. But um, yeah. so they might be. I have no idea the size of Meryl's role or who she'll be playing or anything like that. Right. Yeah, I'd love more information on the plot. Yeah. But we get that over time. Yeah. I'm excited. And then they also released the teaser trailer for The Prom, which premieres in December on Netflix. And then I think at least one song from, from the show. Yeah. I will be, I will be tuning in. The, the teaser trailer is adorable. Yep. It's pretty. It's a great trailer. Yeah. I'm excited. I saw the show on Broadway. Um, and it's interesting to see just the difference, just how much the difference in casting makes a huge difference. And, and I don't mean who, but type. Um, it really changes the dynamic and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's a cute story. I am too, knowing nothing about it. I will say that the, you know, the little scene in the trailer of him, of of her trying to check into a hotel and pulling out Tony after Tony (laughs) at her room is pretty great. Um, and it, this looks, you know, kind of in the Mamma Mia area you know of like fun and you know kind of a jukebox not a jukebox musical in the sense that the songs are ones that we'll all know but that kind of like light-hearted fun yeah uh, kind of sunny feel to it which it's great yeah yeah it'll be fun it'll be good to have around christmas time yeah i think it's december 11th or something um i am looking at a a thing a very official and very reliable (laughs) (laughs) Oscars prediction thing from Yahoo Entertainment, and uh, they went through. <laughs> they, they went through and listed uh, a lot of potential nominees, but Meryl is in the top five predicted nominees. Um, and actually, she was before. They just updated this a few days ago. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was not included, which she is now, and Jennifer Hudson was included for the, uh, I think it's called Respect, which is the Aretha Franklin biopic, but that just got bumped back a year. That'll be next. So I think they're releasing it in the summer is the plan now instead of around Christmas time. Okay. So she will be going for an Oscar, uh, her, which would be her second Oscar in 2021 rather than 2020. So she got replaced by Michelle Pfeiffer for a movie called French Exit. But so Meryl has been included in the predicted nominees e- even before that. The other na- predicted nominees, and again, God only knows because yeah. I don't people have seen any of these movies yet. But the predicted nominees are Vanessa Kirby for a movie called Pieces of a Woman. And I've heard a lot of great things about it. They're saying it's like her year. So I think yeah. she's got a couple of movies coming out. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer for French Exit. Frances McDormand for a movie called Nomadland, which I cannot wait to see. That sounds yeah. fascinating to me. Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I'm also excited about that one. And then Meryl oh, in the yeah, that's going to be really good. That's going to be really, really good. And then I won't go through all of them because it lists a ton of other, you know, possibilities. But then the next, it says the next in line. So the possible spoilers include Sophia Loren for a movie called The Life Ahead, which she's supposed to be great. Carrie Mulligan for a movie called Promising Young Woman. Kate Winslet for Ammonite. 
um, Elizabeth Moss for a movie called Shirley, which I think was released a while ago. Andra Day for the United States versus Billy Holiday uh, and Amy Adams for Hillbilly Elegy. And then it kind of goes on from there. There are other folks uh, included as possibilities. But have you watched the trailer for Hillbilly Elegy? Out of I have. What did you think of that? I uh, honestly, I can't think of anything I want to watch less. <laughs> but I'll show up for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. I have a hard time. I think I'm a little sensitive to and have a difficult time when major A-list actors play poor. It it feels, I don't know, there's something like I I can feel them searching for the Oscar. I just, it just makes me uncomfortable when, when they, when, when they play. Yeah. And I don't know how better to say that. It just feels gross. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. There's been a real problem. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know if I should disclose this or not, but not long ago, I was going on some sort of. I, this was a couple of years ago, but I was going on some sort of road trip and did one of those Facebook things where I said, "Anybody got any good podcasts or book on tape recommendations?" And somebody suggested Hillbilly Elegy, and I had never heard of it. And um, a good friend of mine, whose opinion I respect. Uh, enormously sent me a, a private message almost immediately and said, please do not get that one. It's awful. And it just, you know, glorifies something that is not, you know, there's been a lot of controversy with the book and now the, yeah. and, now the film. and so I think there's, it, it's, it's one of those things because the pairing of Amy Adams and Glenn Close in the supporting role, both of them are kind of the two, who've been up for a lot of Oscars and never won. And so these are very showy performances, but I think there's going to be some, some controversy, not quite probably the backlash that there's been in previous years for, for things like birth of a nation or something like that. But there's going to be some, do we really want Glenn close to win her Oscar for this <laughs> instead of, you know, yeah. some of the other stuff. But then again, we haven't seen the film yet either. So who knows? I need to reserve judgment. I am on the flip side, so excited for Promising Young Woman mm-hmm. <laughs> with Carrie Mulligan. If you watch the trailers, it looks bonkers and so good. <laughs> uh, it's almost, the trailers watch almost like it's a horror flick. Um, yeah. yeah, it's not one. And and I, you won't take from that from the trailer, but the tension it builds um, in the trailers is phenomenal. I'm not even going to describe them because I can't do I can't do the trailers justice with my words. But everybody, go watch the trailers for Promising Young Women. I will. I will watch it, and we can discuss next time for sure. Carrie Mulligan's great. I mean, she's she's another one who's been up a few, at least a few times, and probably should have been more. She's yeah. great. You know, so she'll win sooner or later. But yeah, um, I have to say, out of all of them, uh, you know, if you look at if you look at, let's say these are the the five nominees, three of them have already won. Uh, Frances McDormand, Viola Davis, and Meryl Streep have already won. In fact, two of them have won more than one. The other two would be Vanessa Kirby. This would be her first nomination. And then Michelle Pfeiffer, um, who, you know, she's been up for a few, but has never won. And she's apparently been in a few uh, really good movies that are coming out within the next year or two. I'm excited to see this one French exit. I've heard mm-hmm. kind of since it's premiere at one of the film festivals, 
quite a while ago now. Um, it feels like maybe even the spring uh, that there were things coming out saying, "Ooh, she's really good in this. She's going to be a player, you know, for for the next awards season." And she's somebody who kind of has been forgotten about really over the last several years. Yeah, yeah, and she's wonderful. I'm excited yeah. to see her too. So maybe it's her year. Who knows? But they say that Nomadland, the one with Frances McDormand, they say that that young director is um, amazing and, you know, kind of like very Ter- Terrence Malick uh, comparisons. Chloe Zhao. And yeah. I'm excited to see that, too. Well, and if if Frances McDormand won for that, that would be her third win, which would, you know, she and Meryl would each have three. So, you know, they'd both be gunning for Katherine Hepburn's record of four. Yeah, right. That would be pretty cool. And I think the year after that, um, Frances McDormand and Denzel Washington have been making, is it Macbeth or Hamlet? Oh, I don't know. With the Coen brothers, direct. What? Why do I not know about this? No, this is, it's going to be really something. Um, I'm going to be, oh, oh, yeah. I'm like jumping with joy over here. It's Macbeth. She's playing Lady Macbeth. Um, I guess Joel Cohen is directing by himself. I should just say the Okay. And he, I guess, did the screenplay, of course, based on um, Shakespeare's play. Yeah, Denzel is playing Macbeth. She's playing Lady Macbeth. Top. Brendan Gleeson. I don't recognize the other folks in the cast, which means nothing, because uh, I don't always recognize folks' names. But and that has been completed. It's been it's in post production, so that's coming out next year. But so she, you know, all I'm saying is she might be up for another one next year too. So yeah, crazy. That's amazing. Um, so anyway, so yeah, I guess it's that time of year where you know we start talking awards show stuff. Wow, it's weird. It'll be, a, it'll be a really interesting year, all things considered. Yeah, it is a year where something like the prom could slot in there because some of the other stuff a has either been like postponed and. The other thing is some some movies like the Aretha Franklin one they're choosing to hold. You know, I assume that movie's completed and ready to show. It's just they want people to see it in the theater and suspect it could make some money. And they don't want to bring it to the streaming platform. So, you know, there's less competition. Have you seen the trailer? And we will get to the movie we're going to review. But I have to mention this. Because I don't really get excited by movie trailers very often. Promising Young Woman is one of them, but have you seen the trailer for Let Him Go with Kevin Costner and Diane Lane? Oh, yes. Yes, I have. I'm so excited for this movie, and it's coming out very soon, but only in theaters, and all the theaters where I live are still shut down, and I'm so sad. And they're telling me it's going to be like March before I can watch it. And I'm like, don't you know this is the only thing I have to live for Oh, I'm in my house. Give me something. Yeah, I bet. I bet there will be ways to see it before long. I hope so. It's so perfect for streaming. Mm-hmm. I think that they should do a simultaneous release. They'd make so much more money. I don't understand. Yeah. Anyway, it looks very good. The movies that they're choosing to send to the theaters are uh, kind of fascinating because <laughs> yeah. there haven't been very many. It's it's kind of like what feels like the the movies that generally come out in like March or April, which are you know not the awards ones that come out right at the beginning of the year and not the summer blockbusters. It's kind of the stuff that gets 
kind of, you know, fizzled out. It seems like that kind of stuff. There's like a Russell Crowe movie called Unhinged. And there's like this movie with Robert De Niro, something about a grandpa. You know, like it's just that <laughs> kind of stuff. But it's, all right, that's what we're going with. And Hocus Pocus has been like the number one box office movie something like 25 years after it was released. That's been the number one movie at the box office is Hocus Pocus because they're replaying it in theaters. Oh, how funny. I didn't realize. I mean, I keep seeing Hocus Pocus in the headlines and I'm not reading them. <laughs> well, and they just announced they're doing a sequel to that. Got it, got it. So that's the other reason that it's out there. But yeah. Anyway, well, should we talk about this movie that we're here to yeah. talk about today? Let's do it. All right. We are here to talk about the 1984 romantic comedy question mark <laughs> falling I think in, in the traditional sense of a rom-com we have a meet cute we have a happy ending it's a yeah. romantic comedy it's not funny though it's not funny no yes but i also i mean we could we should do a plot synopsis but uh, i will also say because that sounded kind of judgmental of this movie i like this movie more than uh you might expect. You know what? Me too. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. It's Even nice. recognizing all of its faults, which it has some. Yeah. Um, I just really, really loved watching the two of them who are absolute juggernauts be everyday people with one another. Right. There's no gangster activity. There's no like, <laughs> like, there's no babies being stolen by dingoes. There's no like, there's no political movements. There's just two people in in New York, real setting, real people, real interactions, and they're both so good. And they're both very natural in this movie. It it seems like one of her. And definitely his most natural performances to me, where it's just, yeah. they're just kind of enjoying. I think, too, one of the reasons why I loved it so much is that Robert De Niro is so pleasant to watch. Like, I was so, I mean, I'm always captivated by Meryl, but I was so captivated by De Niro in a way that I never have been. Um, and it's not to say that I don't think his other performances, like in Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, are amazing because he's a phenomenal actor. But you don't get to, like, I don't think you get to walk by his side mm -hmm. in the same way that you do in those films, uh, that you do in this film. Because he's just, it's just a really lovely, sweet performance. I just never see Robert De Niro be sweet. That's not yeah. a thing. <laughs> and this this movie, the way it sits in his filmography, is like really a question mark. I mean, like way more than than it is for her. It's this: how did this movie ever get made? Kind of question. It's so out of character for him at this point in his yeah. career. Once he got to like 1990 or so, he kind of you know almost made this. It feels like a choice to lighten up and, and first of all, do a lot more movies than he previously did. It seemed like at that point he was kind of like saying yes to almost anything that he was offered. But, yeah. um, you know, he was much more selective in his early years. And this is like kind of, I mean, maybe not his prime, but not far removed from his prime. You know, no. just a couple of years after Taxi Driver and Raging Bull and so many other uh 
one of my favorite performances ever of him is the King of Comedy. Ah, oh, which Sorry, I've never seen. You've never seen the King of Comedy? Mm-mm, no. It's so, that's another movie that's like, what the hell is happening here? It's so strange and so, and so fascinating and wonderful. But, um, you know, anyway, we should do a synopsis. Although, sure. yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty basic. So Meryl Streep and Robert De Niro play two average New Yorkers who take the same train in from when they live in White Plains or Westchester, somewhere north of New York City. They commute on the same train and they meet in a bookstore one night on Christmas Eve. They sort of have a package run in at the door and help each other get their packages straightened out and continue to run into each other on the train after that. And they ultimately fall in love. They're both married to other people. So it's the word I'm looking for, not contentious, but they struggle. Mm-hmm. They, they they struggle with their relationship because they're obviously both married. And, um, you know, ultimately, I won't give you the rest of the plot because it's sort of minute details, but they, they ultimately end up together over time. But they, they part ways for a little while. Um, yeah, anything else? Am I missing any major plot points? No, not particularly. Um, it's an interesting cast. Harvey Keitel got hired for like two days of work to just have conversations with De Niro. <laughs> His cast is is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like Jane Kaczmarek. Yeah. Jane Kaczmarek plays De Niro's wife. Um, Meryl's husband is played by David Clennon, who yeah, I've seen in a few things, but I'm not terribly familiar with his work. Are you? No. No. He looked familiar to me, but I didn't look up his filmography. Yeah. He's been in a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. Diane Weist plays Meryl's like best friend, uh, which is an interesting performance. There's a very early cameo. I think it's maybe her first movie uh, as a way <laughs> Francis Conroy, like right in the very beginning. And it was, I don't know if you had the same reaction. I remember thinking, is that Francis Conroy? And looking yeah. at, yeah, it's Francis Conroy. Exactly what I did. And also um, one of his sons is played by Jesse Bradford, who if you are, um, if you were born in the 80s and a teen in the 90s, you know him from Bring It On. <laughs> and he's like a little toddler in this movie. <laughs> I've not seen, I yes, I'm in the same demographic as you, but I've somehow managed to avoid Bring It On my entire life. It's enjoyable. I won't lie. I've rewatched it. It's still enjoyable. <laughs> um, so he, yeah. De Niro plays like a, an architect. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. I don't know. What else, what else do we need to talk about with this movie other than some of the kind of, you know, just they're really good in this movie. It's written, it's written by a guy named Michael Christopher who wrote uh, the screenplays for uh, about 15 movies or so. Most recently one called the night clerk uh, with Ty Sheridan and uh, Helen Hunt. Um, See that? I haven't seen it. I haven't either. No. I should watch but, it. But he, uh, he. This was one of. This is really his first. He wrote a TV movie called The Shadow Box before this with Joanne Woodward and Christopher Plummer and Valerie Harper. Uh, but this was the first film that he wrote that was uh, in in theaters. And then after this, he did The Witches of Eastwick and The Bonfire of the Vanities. And since then, some some maybe not great things like Gia with Angelina Jolie and Original Sin with Angelina Jolie. And uh, so 
it's there are a couple issues with the script in this one i would say for sure so i think this movie was intended to be um if not a remake an homage to a 1930s film called brief encounter and it does have structurally it does feel as simple as a romance from the 30s you know there's no I mean, everything revolves around plot A. There's really no plot B going. (laughs) I mean, there are some offshoots, but it's it's a pretty simple film. Um, I think I read, you know, as part of this process, I read that, um, you know, the script got passed around for quite a bit of time because it was just not where it needed to be. And that the director and the writer and De Niro and Meryl Streep spent some quite some time improving scenes to improve the script or change it in a way that felt more natural. So I think that's what we're seeing on screen mm-hmm. because they are so like they clearly really enjoy each other's company and like working together. That's evident. They yeah. have so much chemistry, the two of them. And the really I can't I mean this is sort of like a few weeks ago when I got obsessed with the word bleak, like the word that I associate with this film is just so natural, so mm-hmm. natural and organic. They are so organic together. It's lovely. Yeah, totally. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that, okay, so I, I will admit that I'm not a big fan of the first five minutes or so of this movie, the like constant near misses that they have seems kind of like a cliche choice. Oh, there's so many cliche moments. Like, yeah, it's packed full of them. Totally agree. <laughs> well, and I think ultimately, I don't think this is a great script. I think it's it's two really good actors and then, you know, really great supporting cast yeah. elevating very mediocre material. Totally. Because I don't think it's very well written at all. <laughs> well, and, uh, the end... Yeah, the end is as frustrating as the beginning. It's like, would you just speak, use your words with each other, communicate, please? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and the, you know, the near accident with the train, it's definitely got some like Hollywood gimmicks going on for sure. Yeah, but the the first five minutes, I don't know why it kind of just, I guess we've just seen it so many times. And I guess the, like what they're trying to say is, I guess they're trying to make it less about coincidence and more about like destiny or something. It's almost like saying these two were, you know. Yeah, which from like watching it from a modern perspective, when you have two married adults who are, um, you know, who ultimately engage in an extramarital affair, I feel like any implication that it's fate and they're meant to be together feels like a cop out and removes, it really does remove the character's agency. Mm-hmm. And then I think the stakes remain quite low because they never have a full blown physical affair. It's, it's, it's an emotional affair, but it almost keeps the stakes so low that you don't like, you're just, I felt, I felt myself going, okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I was like, is, are we going to move this along? Are we going to raise the stakes? Are we going to, yeah. (laughs) And then they sort of falsely raise the stakes with the the funeral breakdown where her husband restrains her, her father passes away for context. And 
And so there's a period of time where she's not seeing Robert De Niro because she's not going into the city to see her dad. And um, she's at the funeral and she has this meltdown and her husband is physically restraining her in a way that felt like he'd had to do that before. Mm-hmm. And that confused me. I was like, what? What? <laughs> I mean, this totally restrained performance up to this point, And then she, she loses it in front of everyone at the funeral. And it doesn't, it, it's not grief. It's a panic attack. I mean, obviously she's grieving, but that's not how it reads to the audience. So it was a very sort of confusing moment, I think, to go yeah. on that. Yeah. And, um, the yeah, I mean, we can talk even about the 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 two other participants or not participants, the two people who have this happen to them, whose husband, you know, whose yeah. husband and wife cheat on them. Like, I felt a lot of sympathy for Jane Kaczmarek's character. You know, she's a very much an innocent victim. She seems like a not particularly fleshed out character, but likable enough. Mm-hmm. You know, no reason to feel anything. That's that's always a funny thing in movies like affair movies, right? Is you you're supposed to root for usually these two to get together, and yet there's always these other characters who have these things done to them who are generally innocent. Uh, like I keep thinking as well about like the Bridges of Madison County, which is the other like affair movie that Merrill has done, and that one, I mean, like that one, the tone of it is totally different, and it's it's just about you really want the two of them to get together uh, because that's 95 or more percent of the film. You see her with her husband for two minutes at the beginning of the movie and two minutes at the end of the movie. And the rest of the time is just the two of them. It's just Meryl and Clint. Now this one, you see them interacting with their spouses and kind of, uh, you know, being dishonest in a way. And, but yet her husband is not, I, I don't know. It's it's strange because I don't really like his character. Oh. Well, you don't get anything from him but right. the following. You see them on Christmas morning and he has unilaterally decided they're going to brunch with another couple even though Meryl Streep wants to spend the day together, right? Mm-hmm. Then you find out they had a child pass away. Um, five days after she was born and she wants to have more children and he does it. So we know that about him. Then she has this panic attack at the funeral and he physically restrains her in a way that is ultimately caring, but momentarily feels not great. Right. Where you're like, why are you physically restraining her at this moment? Like, like, where's she going to go? Hands off. So you know that about him. And then I was under the impression that he didn't know that she was engaged in any kind of affair. And, and then when she, Robert De Niro calls the house because he's moving to Houston, he calls her house to talk to her. And the husband knows she's on the phone, but doesn't know who's on the other end. And she, of course, masks masks who she's talking to. And when she gets off, he all of a sudden knows. And there's yeah. not a moment where you um, see him realize or acknowledge. It's just all of a sudden he knows. And it it comes off as, I don't know, there's like, there's like a dark undertone to the husband. Yes. <laughs> Throughout. Yes. And I don't have enough character development to like him to like counter that sort of dark thing that's going on. 
Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree. I felt like, oh, is he going to kill her? Like, this is a very different movie, but yeah, you know, I mean. Yeah, like, when he calls the house again, the husband picks up. Because my wife's in bed, even though she's left the house. To see him, which she has yeah. told him that she's going to see De Niro. Right. It is strange. I do, I agree with you completely. That's one of the things that I um, kind of had in my notes was that scene where De Niro tells Jane Kaczmarek at the, at their kitchen table, he tells her, you know, and it's, it's, I think a pretty good scene for him. You know, he gets to say, I'm at this woman on a train. We haven't done anything, but you know, and he kind of says it's over, it's over. We're, but he, he admits to it and he's upfront with her about most of it. I mean, nothing happened is mostly true. You know, yeah. they've made out and almost, almost gone, you know, to a, a to a physical place, but I don't know. There, I think we needed that scene from Meryl's side too, but maybe, maybe it felt like, well, we've seen one side of that, so maybe the audience will assume it went similarly or something. But I think we needed, we needed to see something, or we needed maybe more explanation that he did know. We needed. It could have so easily been tied into her talking to Diane Weist and saying, "I told him," and you know, right? Yeah, just even a little bit more information to. To, to flush that out would have been good. Yeah. I actually would have liked to see another scene with, with Meryl and Diane Weist in general anyway. Like, I like the two of them. They really only had a couple scenes. I guess she was hired for two days' work, too. Really, just like just like Harvey Keitel. He's only, she's really only in two scenes that I remember, too. They're both kind of on the street walk and talks kind of thing. I'm excited to see the two of them reunite uh, and, and have Candace Bergen, too, for the Let Them All Talk, the Steven Soderbergh one. That should be coming out any day on HBO Max. I wish we knew more about yeah. that one, too. Anyway, uh, I like the chemistry that the two of them have. And I also think that that scene where Diane Weist is really the only character in the movie who starts to kind of call her out a little bit and say, like, you know, I'm your friend, and clearly, like, she's she's playing kind of an archetype character of, like, the, the woman who is in charge of her own identity and her own sexuality, and so she's kind of portrayed as, you know, whatever word you want to use. <laughs> so special. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was really interesting, though, that, that Diane Weiss plays, sort of plays that character, who's clearly... Like, clearly the friend who's not going to pass judgment. Right. Right? And understandably, understandably, Meryl Streep's character would be passing judgment on herself. It's very clear she is. But right. there's some dialogue between them where Meryl Streep, like, refuses to talk to, to Diane Weist about it or engage in any conversation. And because, and she says this to Diane Weist, I know you think that this is wrong. And, <laughs> which doesn't quite jive with the character as we know her. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that felt a little, that felt a little inconsistent to me for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think, I mean, I think this is just, I think this is exactly what you're saying too, but I, I think what Diane Weiss's character feels in that moment is not upset that her friend is having an affair. It's that her friend is kind of not really being honest with her about it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Um, I've a couple of things I noticed. This is so funny. This is like the, this has really nothing to do with the quality of the film. One, I love this scene where they're driving in the station wagon, Robert De Niro and his wife and two children, 
where not one of them is wearing a seatbelt. <laughs> and the small toddlers who are not big enough to be out of car seats, not only do not have car seats, they are climbing all over the car. I was like, oof, this is the 80s. I was just going to say, you know, by today's standards, yes, that seems weird, but that was the 80s. No, I remember, like, we used to crawl over the car in the 80s. Yeah, it was it was not always like it is. I mean, not to sound old, but, you know, it's <laughs> that is one of the things that has changed for sure within 40 years. You know, it is not like that anymore, uh, but it certainly was then. Um yeah, do you have any particular favorite scenes from the film? Any particular Meryl moments in this movie? Mm, I don't think I do. This is something I noticed in particular. I, I mean, this is sort of one of those things where this film is this film is one note. And so everything interesting about it is really watching Meryl Streep and Robert De Niro be incredible actors. And so I feel like every moment is a great moment with mm -hmm. both of them. So I'm not sure I can identify a single scene that I particularly liked. How about you? I, I'm with you. I don't think that there are uh, like standout scenes in the way that there sometimes are in other movies. Um, there are moments that she has that struck me as... Uh, such interesting choices, and I guess I'm curious if you remember any of them. One is actually the scene where they first saw, as you kind of mentioned in your uh, synopsis, they really meet for the first time. They're both buying books, you know, a couple of days before Christmas in a crowded bookstore. He's carrying around a bunch of packages. They both kind of leave for the door at the same time, and so they end up, she basically just tries to help him this stranger, because he's got so many packages, she's trying to get the door for them, so they each put down packages and then get some stuff mixed up, and that's how they end up talking in the first place. But as they're kind of dealing with all of that hubaloo, there's this guy who's waiting to come in the store, and he's just standing there waiting for them to, like... And she goes, yeah, come on, just go. <laughs> and yeah. it seems such a natural, like, yeah, that's how she yeah. would talk to that guy. It was, again, that moment where, was that guy an extra, or was he just... Uh, you know, a customer who wanted to go into the store. She's so natural in that moment. And it just seems like a very authentic reaction um, and just such a good choice to have somebody else there in that moment that gives them a little bit more action in that yeah. moment. You know, it's just something that like, it would have been a much easier choice not to have another person just standing there. But I thought it was really great. And her like, I don't know. I just, I like that moment a lot. There's another one when he recognizes her on the train after that has happened, he recognizes her and then they both get off at the stop and they're walking. And, uh, he says the bookstore and she goes, what, you know, she doesn't know why this guy's talking to her. And he's like, he's struggling to articulate that he remembers her from the bookstore. So it's kind of awkward for a minute because she just thinks this weirdo is talking to her and she doesn't remember him. And uh, so he finally kind of clears it up and says, you were that woman at the bookstore who helped me. And then we swapped packages because they each, you know, set down a package and picked up one, the, each other's package. So they each gave their spouse the wrong book, basically the one, that, you know, the opposite partner. And um, so she has this moment of, it's kind of an awkward scene because she basically gives off the impression of like, oh yeah, I kind of remember you, but also like, why are you talking to me now? Like, I remember you, nice to see you, but also bye. Yeah. And so 
she, as they're leaving, you know, she basically is like, well, nice to see you again. I'm going to go. Bye. And he says, oh, by the way, Merry Christmas. And she turns around and goes, you know, kind of gives him a look like what? And she, and he says, yeah, Merry Christmas. And she goes, oh, Merry Christmas too. And then she just kind of like shakes her head. And I think she even does something with her hand. Like, what the hell is that? (laughs) 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 And it's so, it's such an unexpected choice because I think, you know, I don't know, as an audience member, I would think like, are we supposed to believe that they like see each other? And like, that's the start. That's the spark as they see each other and they're attracted to each other. But it's such a slow burn that they really don't, there's nothing going on until, you know, several train rides where they kind of like keep seeing each other and keep making that connection. Um, and I think that's why the, the beginning bothers me so much of having them have that, the, the part of the beginning, that's a hard on this. And I feel like I just went in a giant circle for 20 minutes, but <laughs> the thing that really bugs me about the beginning is they're both on the pay phones right next to each other. And they're having conversations with people, but they do that thing in movies where they make it sound like they're talking to each other. Like yeah. Meryl's people say, Merry Christmas. And then De Niro talking to his person on the other line will say, yeah, Merry Christmas to you too. And it's like, yeah. what? what? we don't need this. This, what is this supposed to mean? It's so strange. No, it's like, you can tell it's like trying to be a throwback to, to old romances and it, it, it doesn't really work. It doesn't, as wonderful as this movie is, it's almost three separate films or maybe two in that the beginning with the, with the meet cute and this sort of very contrived, listen, New York is a huge city. Do you run into people in New York, you know? Absolutely. And you think, how is this even possible? There's millions of us here. How do I run into somebody I know? But like the number of times these two people are in the same space at the same time is just not realistic. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I hard no. Um, and so it has a very, it sets itself up to be a very stylized romance. Mm-hmm. But then it's not that. It's this very naturalistic sort of study in how two people end up in an affair and how that plays out. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really do that well because what's interesting about that story is how it impacts the rest of their lives. And they sort of they dabble in that with the spouses. They don't really get into the repercussions of what that, you know, what kind of havoc that wreaks on your life. And I mean, that's because it's not that movie and that's fine. But then we go back to this sort of high concept romance where she's chasing after him in the rain in her car and like almost slams into a moving train and can't reach him because her car is broken down and it's like the ultimate romantic tragedy. Right. Then we go full circle back to the end. You know, so it's just it's got it's got a it has a it has a I think it has a genre problem. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> And, you know, ultimately, like, to your first point of, like, how often do you see the same person? Are you ever around that person that much? Like, I can believe the idea that they both find themselves taking the same train on a daily yeah. basis. And, like, yeah, it makes sense. You would take the 905 and, you know. Especially coming in. Yeah. For her, it makes a little bit less sense because, you know, there's no real justification for why she would be taking the same train to get into the city to see her dad. But like, that's an avoidable, we don't have to think too hard about that. But then the problem with that is they meet at a bookstore and not on this train that they right. 
And like, there's a way to do that. There's a way to introduce them on a train that makes it more believable that they, you know, yeah. Oh, I take this train every day. Me too. I, I don't know. It's, uh, there are definitely some, some script problems. And I understand what you're saying too, with like the ending and the, and the train bit, because the other thing that's, that's wrong about that really is he's calling her basically saying, I'm leaving. I want to see you one last time. Can you do that? And uh, she says no. And then as soon as she hangs up the phone, decides yes. And it's that, you know, I guess I've never had that happen to me. (laughs) Have you ever had that happen to you where like, no, no, no. Yes. And then instead of calling him back, maybe she didn't have the number. I don't know. But like, then the stakes are so high. Of course, this movie would be totally different set today because of cell phones, exchange cell phone numbers. And so here's where things got a little a little funky for me again, because of the husband and why I feel there's like this dark undertone with him is that she says, no, I'm not coming to visit you. She hangs up and the husband says, well, that's done then or something to that effect. And she clearly realizes that he knows how he knows, who knows, because he doesn't seem to be around all day. And she only meets this guy in New York. Like, how could he possibly know? (laughs) But he supposedly knows. And she grabs that bag and bolts from the house like she's trying to get away from her husband before he prevents her from physically leaving the house. Like, that's what it felt like to me, that she was like trying to get past her husband so that he couldn't stop her. And it felt very dark. I was like, what is this thing? And and no disrespect to the actor, because, you know, I mean, I don't know. But it it, it is a bit... Yeah. Yeah, there was some menacing, uh, you know, qualities to to that. Where, like I said, yeah, you you did wonder, or I wondered anyway, like, is he going to hurt her? Is he going to, like, what's going to happen here? Yeah. And I knew that wasn't, I mean, I've seen this film before, so I, you know, I was like, he's not, it's not that movie, thank goodness, but, um, you know, there, there is that undertone of, hmm, there's something here. I don't know, there's, there's issues with this film, but, you know, it's all things considered, you know, not, uh, not a tough one to sit through, I have to say. I would rewatch it. Yeah. Yeah, I would absolutely rewatch it, watching the two of them. I think um, I think what's so great about this film and why it shouldn't be discounted is that, um, you know, we go and we watch films all the time. And I don't know about you, but I don't often sit and contemplate how much they're behaving like people in real life or not. Right. I watch performances and most good actors are so natural. You don't really question, you don't question the world they're creating for you. Mm -hmm. But, but these two are so good at making you feel like you are in everyday life. And that is, that is over and beyond a script that is trying to be highly stylized. Mm -hmm. These actors are making you feel like you are watching people in every day. Like I felt like a voyeur. Like I felt, I felt like I was standing in the bookstore with them and watching this interaction of real people. And it's so masterful. <laughs> like mm-hmm. watching for that, just how natural they are. And also, I think it goes down as probably one of Robert De Niro's most tender performances. Like I was utterly compelled. I was like, yeah. "You're lovely. I should hate you because you instigated this, sir." <laughs> 
No, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I think the the thing you said earlier about like natural is uh, is the perfect word for this movie. It is the most like at ease that certainly at this point in their careers, I think either of them had ever been on yeah. film. And you could make the argument there haven't been many uh, since then that have been as natural as this. It yeah. more than anything makes me wish that that movie, The Good House, that they were supposed to make, that Sigourney Weaver and Kevin Klein have made, that they would have done that. Because, you know, this was the second of three pairings for them, although they aren't in many scenes in Marvin's room together. Um, actually, they may not be in any in Marvin's room, uh, but he they did the Deer Hunter and then this and then Marvin's room. Uh, and it would it would be nice to see them paired again or maybe some, I don't know, maybe again, television or something. Maybe they should do a yeah. series together or something. It is interesting because they have so much chemistry in the Deer Hunter, even though they're not a pair. Um, I thought that's pretty palpable. I think they knew that. I think that may be why they were looking for a vehicle and, and landed on this, um, even though it was sometime later. Um, I think the other thing about this movie and why I would recommend it is that I think, I think they just capture really beautifully a pure, like a pure love story. Mm-hmm. Um, like you, you, you forgive the, you forgive the affair and you, you forgive sort of all of the moral quandaries associated with their choices because they really do capture what it is to be so in love that just everything gets over, over, right, overwritten. Yeah. yeah. It's sweet. It's got a sweetness to it for sure. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is not one of either of their bigger hits. This movie was not particularly well received in in many cases it had a budget of about 12 million and made uh, a little over 11 million so you know when you factor in again at the time vhs sales and dvd sales this movie you know eventually made its money back but certainly not in the theaters um it was released on november 21st 1984 which leads me to believe that they probably were positioning it for some awards stuff uh, I, that did not happen, but that's okay. Um, anything else that you wanted to say about this movie? Oh, it's it's not. I will say that that when you do, if you do watch it, if you choose to watch it, if you have not seen it, it may go down in history as the most awkward makeout scene I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which I was honestly taken by surprise because they really do have so much chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Oh, what is happening? What yeah. is happening? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so that's, where I'll, that's where I'll cap off for the, yes, for the, that's an interesting so. way to it classy. But, um, I, so I do have a one star review. There's only one one-star review on IMDb. So I guess this is the one I have to read. Um, this is written by L. Ashley-28122. Uh, this was written in uh, 2018, so not that long ago. The title of the, the review is Boring. I have never had a good feeling about Meryl S. acting. She always seems to be holding back her feelings and emotions. Her storylines seem to be so bland and boring. Therefore, I hate this movie. It lacks any sort of excitement that one would generally find in this sort of story. The lines are ho-hum. I do like Robert's wife in this movie. At least she has personality. 
<laughs> oh wow. I love it how I love it how Meryl Streep is somehow responsible for the quality of the whole film. <laughs> yes. Yes, her storyline. She's being she's being blamed for her storylines being so bland and boring. And really, like the movie she made be, the movie she had made before this, this this followed Silkwood. Not not bland or boring. <laughs> Sophie's choice. Not bland or boring. You know, like the movies that she'd been was written in 2018 maybe they weren't you know just going through the movies up to that point but and i like i like that meryl gets meryl s and robert's wife i mean like she's on first name basis with these <laughs> i like that but poor jink has merrick doesn't even get doesn't it have, yeah. <laughs> good times but, but at least she has personality you know right she's got personality which is true. I mean, you know, Jane Kaczmarek was great in this movie, but um, she really was. do you have any idea where this would rank on your uh, rankings, your list? I forgot to pull up the rankings for our recording today. I don't. I I set mine, but now I'm, uh, I feel like I should have set them higher. Let me tell you where I have mine and you tell me whether or not you think it's appropriately placed. Okay. Um, for my uh, performances list, we I think this is, there are a couple of these that I have not like added numbers to, so my numbers may be out of whack. I think this is our 38th, this is our 38th movie. Yeah. Uh, and I have it right now in the 28th spot, which seems a little low. I have it right below, so like the few right before this were, so I, like ranked higher than this, I should say. <laughs> were Deer Hunter, Mamma Mia, Little Women, Defending Your Life, and then I have it slotted in after Defending Your Life, just okay. above Heartburn, First Do No Harm, Still of the Night, and then some others. Okay. Does that seem like should it be higher? Maybe it should be a little higher. I don't know. I mean, I personally like her performance in this better than I think Defending Your Life, although she's super charming in that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's hard because you can't, you really can't separate the film from the performance as much as we're trying, you know, so right. it does color how we end up ranking. Plus I, what happens with me is that I just have performances that I love so much. Great performances end up getting notched down the line um, right. because others take priority. Yeah. I think I'm going to move it up two spots. I'm going to, I'm going to move it uh, up to, I think 26. No, <laughs> I forget. Like it's um, now after, so it's Deer Hunter, Mamma Mia, then this. I have this now above Little Women. She's so great in Little Women, but she's in like one scene. So yeah. I'm going to put this above that. And and, yeah. defending. and then as far as movies, I have it actually a little bit higher on the movie side. Um, let's see. So I have it right now in the 23rd spot, it looks like. it's um, So the ones ranked just above this, I have... River Wild, Manchurian Candidate, Music of the Heart, Death Becomes Her, and this, and then Ironweed, which is quite a fall off from this to Ironweed. <laughs> yes. Woo, bleak. Yes, very bleak. Weed, um, <laughs> Ricky, and The Flash, and then Florence Foster Jenkins. I don't know how Florence Foster Jenkins got ranked lower than Ironweed yeah. and Ricky and The Flash. I may have to like revisit some of this. I remember quite enjoying Florence Foster Jenkins. Exactly. That's what I mean is I, I don't know how this is so low. I remember really enjoying her performance and not thinking the film was quite as amazing. Yeah. Uh, but 
I do think it's better probably than Ricky and the Flash and Ironweed, and yet it's rated below those. It's probably like more enjoyable as a film either way than any of those. So anyway, you know, these are our lists. They're imperfect, but they are what they are, and we can maybe set final ones when we've made it through everything. So, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, shall we move on to our other segments? Yes. Why don't we? I usually ask what you'd rather start with, but I haven't yet thought of a movie we wish Meryl was in. So let's start with Six Degrees, and I'm going to be, you know, thinking while we do this too. So oh. our our Six Degrees person was Millie Bobby Brown, who's best known from Stranger Things and the more recent. What is that one that she just did on Netflix? Enola Holmes. Everybody, go watch it, please. So did you come up with the connection? Yeah, so um, Helena Bonham Carter is in Enola Holmes, and I am totally going off of memory, but isn't she in Suffragette? Yes. Yeah. Where's my connection? There you go. Yeah. How about you? Uh, the the one that I thought of pretty much immediately, because it was the only movie that I remember her being in, uh, I'm sure there's probably a Stranger Things connection somewhere. But um, the the Godzilla, I think it's the Godzilla King of the Monsters. Oh yeah, recent one. She was she's kind of basically the lead in that movie. But there are, uh, as I remember, I didn't look it up, and I probably should have. I think there were three connections there because her mom is played by Vera Farmiga, who is in Manchurian um, Candidate. David Strathairn was in both that and the river wild. And then uh, Bradley Whitford is also in that. And he's in the post with Meryl. Nice. So um, I feel like there's probably something with stranger things. I know Meryl and Winona Ryder have never been in a movie together, but it wouldn't be hard to connect them somehow. Yeah. And I was thinking the other guy, there's got to, I'm wondering if there's another connection with the character actor who plays the, the main sheriff cop, the guy David who is Harper. Yeah. I'm wondering if he's ever been in a Merrill Fleck. It seems like he would have been. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there we go. Our our next six degrees person. Yeah, <laughs> it's not David Harbour. It's uh, Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. I don't think that'll be hard to do, but it is kind of fun to. Yeah, yeah. There's nobody that, I'm trying to think of a George Clooney connection because I'm thinking out of sight, which is my favorite Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> See, I'm doing it too. <laughs> <laughs> I called her Jennifer Lawrence earlier. I'm really sorry, JLo. <laughs> Although Jennifer Lawrence is lovely. <laughs> it's not an insult to be either one of them. No. To I, she's so good and out of sight. That's one of my just very, very favorite. So good. I really love her. <laughs> I am a massive fan of JLo. She can do no wrong. She is a powerhouse queen. <laughs> nice. Yeah, she's good. She's good. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. Uh, the movies we wish Meryl was in. Do you have, I have thought of any fired? Have you? I'll, I'll go with one, but I fear that I've talked about it at some point. This may be a repeat, but, um, as I think we mentioned in our last episode, our next tribute episode is going to be Jessica Lang. And so I've been going through a bunch of her stuff. She's another one who I own almost everything that she's done in some form. Uh, the only movie that I'm really struggling to find of Jessica Lange's, it's almost impossible, is a movie with Robert De Niro, actually, that they made in the early 90s. I think it's called Night and Day or something like that. It's just impossible to find. Um, it's another remake of a uh, of an older movie. I'm not positive. I should look that up to make sure I'm saying the title right, because I'm not. that doesn't okay. sound right. 
Um, but I'm going to, because I've been going through so much just Lang stuff, I'm going to say that uh, that miniseries that they did not long ago with her and Susan Sarandon, the the Bet, Betty and Joan. Feud? Feud, yeah. Yeah. Have I ever talked about that before? Wishing Miro had been in I don't even know which role, you know? No, uh, maybe. Oh, I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> and they were both so good at it. You know, it's not, it's as always not. Uh, I just feel like Susan Sarandon is so epically perfect as Betty Davis that I would, I would put Meryl in the Joan Crawford role. Well, and I think Joan Crawford, like Betty Davis was so distinctive. I mean, Joan Crawford was in a way as well. Yeah. But Betty Davis, like the way she spoke was so, I'm not saying Meryl couldn't have done it, but like you almost have to kind of look like her, which Meryl yeah. does. And um, Brandon definitely yeah. does. Yeah. Joan, Joan Crawford, I think would have been the, I don't want to say simpler role because neither one of them would be simpler, but you know, if not Betty and Joan, something like that, you know, something that's a similar, you know, really meaty role like that yeah. in a, a miniseries like that, I think would be, would be great. Uh, the movie, by the way, that Jessica Lange and Robert De Niro made, it's uh, called Night and the City, not Night and Day. It's Night and the City. It's from 1992. It's the only movie of hers that is not available on any streaming or to buy on DVD. So if anybody knows how I can find this movie, please get in touch because I'm watching like all of her movies. I think I'm going to get through like everything she's ever done. <laughs> by the time. I mean, yeah, I've seen most of her work anyway. Uh, there's very few that I hadn't seen, uh, but the other ones that I haven't. And some of them I'm rewatching. But all right, well, thanks for being here, everybody. So next time um, we are in the midst of scheduling. We, are, we have two more 80s movies left, Plenty and Sophie's Choice. One of them we're going to have a guest for, so I'm not sure which one is coming to you next. Probably Sophie's Choice, but who knows? Either way, it'll be in your stream tomorrow, hopefully, uh, as you're listening to this. And uh, we appreciate you listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. That's all.